Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local, sponsored by People's Bank. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and I'd like to introduce your host of Business Talk. He's editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here is George O'Brien. Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Business Talk. We have a terrific show for you today. I can't wait to get started, but I will because first we need to hear this important message from our sponsor, People's Bank. Thank you for listening to the Business Talk podcast, sponsored by People's Bank, bringing you the best in business experts, entrepreneurs, and evangelists. Make Business Talk your innovation break for ideas and inspiration. People's Bank, where commercial banking can fuel your growth and make work life easier. Member FDIC, DIF equal housing lender. Bank at peoples.com slash business. Okay, we are back. And as promised, we have a terrific show for you today. We have with us Meg Sanders. She is the CEO of Canna Provisions in Holyoke and Lee. How are you, Meg? I'm great, George. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's my privilege. Uh, welcome to the show. And, and welcome to the cover of Business West Magazine. You were on this past week. That's always a, a life-changing event from what I'm told by people who have had that happen to them. It's getting framed as we speak, George. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to hear. So thank you for being on today. We have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of great things happening in the world of cannabis. And uh, start by telling us a little bit about yourself and about Cannabis Provisions. Uh, happy to do so. Um, I've had the pleasure of being in this industry since 2009, where I started in Colorado, uh, basically with a company called Mindful, and I was a CEO there for about seven years, and then entered the fun world of consulting and cannabis, which took me all over the country, um, basically helping businesses and local governments, uh, state governments figure out how they want to roll out various ordinances or any type of legislative work. And that's how I honestly ended up in Massachusetts. And we had several clients, my partner, Eric Williams, and I had several clients in uh, the Commonwealth. And um, one of them said, hey, would you consider coming back to operations? And we said, yes. And here we are in the beautiful Berkshires and the beautiful Pioneer Valley of Massachusetts. Okay. Canada Provisions, two locations. This is, these are dispensaries, obviously, but you've got a multifaceted operation there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we do. We are a vertically integrated cannabis company. We were the second standalone adult use store to open right behind Carolyn's campus in Uxbridge. And um, it has been so fast and furious uh, as cannabis tends to be, but we, we're super busy with our Lee store, obviously 300 yards off the Mass Pike. I mean, it is a destination, no doubt. Um, and we have a ton of visitors from all over the place, Massachusetts, New York, Vermont, Connecticut. Um, and then in Holyoke, we, we really set out to create a piece of art. And I think it's just the coolest dispensary in America. And if you haven't been there, I really encourage you to come and see what cannabis can be like. Um, it is very different there. And then we also have our cultivation in Sheffield, led by the amazing and legendary chem dog himself, Greg, Greg Krasnowski. And um, Greg is uh, social equity. He was a, a cannabis 
um, somebody got caught up in the cannabis drug war and uh, right here in Massachusetts. And we are thrilled that he is leading the cultivation. Um, he is the most humble, kind, and loyal human you'll ever meet. And he also happens to grow amazing cannabis. So if you're familiar with any of the legendary chem strains, um, you can come to Canna Provisions to get those. Okay. Very interesting. Okay, I believe we're coming up on six years now that that famous ballot question passed in Massachusetts and uh, six years of an industry to develop, uh, to kind of find its way. Uh, probably no better, no one better in this region to talk about uh, where the cannabis sector is in Massachusetts and specifically Western Massachusetts, where we are and where we can expect to be in let's say a couple more years and then maybe five years down the road. Give us a kind of a state of the industry check here. Sure. Um, you know, the thing that's very interesting about today, cannabis adult use in Massachusetts is we're probably where we should be. Um, and what I mean by that is we're hitting a, a plateau, if you, if you will, um, no longer is you open a dispensary and they will come true. Um, that's that. It's just not how it really works anymore because there is so much competition. And if you're opening a cannabis dispensary right now in, in Massachusetts, you can commit a ton of capital to advertising because you're going to have to in order to make sure people know you're there. The other piece that's happening is I, I believe, at least in, in some form of licensing process, we have about 3 million square feet of cannabis cultivation. Not all of that is online, but potentially could be. And we're definitely seeing a oversupply happen right now, which is driving prices down, which is helpful for consumers. Um, and we're also kind of seeing the battle of the brands with regards to flower products or infused products. And again, I think this is kind of where we should be. Um, generally, what we'll see after this is some consolidation or some condensing, I guess, or, or shrinking of the market. I, I'm aware of several companies that are closing, have closed segments of their business, are closing altogether, um, are in receivership. So this is kind of what happens. And especially when you factor in one of the most painful parts about operating cannabis is a lovely little federal tax code called 280E. And that basically states that because we are a federally illegal business, we are not allowed to take any normal business deductions except for cost of goods. So our tax returns look very, very different than a traditional business. And basically the, the, the guide that we follow, which is I think the advantage of having an experienced operator who's learned a lot through, through, the, through the time that I've been in cannabis, is we, we basically, for every dollar we receive, we have to figure out how to operate the company on 30 cents. The rest of it is gonna mm -hmm. go to taxes. And that's a discipline. It's a, it's a strict discipline. And we manage our budget on, the, on, a, on a daily basis. And that's how you have to do it. I think there's a big misnomer out there or a big misunderstanding about cannabis that if you open a cannabis company, it's kind of like an unlimited ATM just appears in your office and just <laughs> spits out $100 bills. Um, I wish that were the case, but that is not what happens. So you have to be very disciplined, incredibly strategic with every dollar. Um, mm -hmm. And business business physics is alive and well, and it needs to be very alive and well in any cannabis business. 
Okay, talk a little bit more about this. Uh, this is uh, the part of the business that, that's intriguing to me and to a lot of people that are watching it, and that is just how big this business can get in Western Massachusetts and, and how many more dispensaries this, this market can take. Uh, we're not going to see a, a dispensary on every street corner, obviously. Many communities have, are starting to see a number of different licenses that where are we at in terms of, of a competitive balance and, and how the market has shaken itself out? I know you started to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I think the important thing to remember, um, what we see time and again with adult use, no matter where it happens, is along with, um, along with you know, cannabis consumers that are already familiar with the products, um, they're, they're obviously are, are one of our, one of our strong customer bases. But the other thing that happens is people that have never used this product or haven't used this product in a long time, because it becomes, uh, legal in the state that tends to pique a lot of interest. What we're finding is at this moment in time in Massachusetts and in other States around the country is that the growth of that new consumer is not keeping up with the growth of what's happening as far as the stores and products and, and mm -hmm. cultivation. And what, what we're going to see over, I think between now and probably the end of 23 is I think we're going to see several companies that, that have to shutter. I think that is absolutely what's going to happen. Now mm -hmm. there are still dispensaries being open. There are still cultivations coming online. There are, Ability to get ahead of, of the game as fast as possible is, is a really tough uphill climb. The only thing I can think of that changes that if you're the only one in a population base that's relatively significant, you'll probably be okay. So if say your city has banned and, and they've had no dispensaries and now they've decided, hey, we're going to open one and it's a you know decent size, let's say 20,000 to 40,000 population, you're probably going to be successful there as long as you're in a good retail location, parking's easy, and you can, you can pay for inventory and pay for employees to keep your store open. I think what we're seeing is a lot of municipalities, let's look at Pittsfield, let's look at Springfield, let's look at... Um, you know, several other of other towns and cities in in Massachusetts. Great Barrington is a very interesting experiment, in my opinion, because it's a a town of I think twenty thousand, maybe maybe not even that high, um, and I think they're up to seven dispensaries, um, with one opening right across the street from Theory, and I think they're all feeling the pinch right now. It is incredibly competitive, and the. What I find is the most frustrating part of a competitive market is the first thing, even as a consumer, probably anybody in business thinks, well, it's going to be price competitive. It's got, it has to be price competitive. And I would argue that that is somewhat true. But what we know about consumers in retail is they like to support a business that aligns with their value set. They like to support businesses that support other things. And they do appreciate a good experience. And that's important. And we definitely know that from first-time consumers or consumers that are early in their cannabis journey, have lots of questions. They want access to educated humans that can tell them everything that they need to know about a product before they buy it and take it home and consume it. What we also know is that consumers that are spending, I don't know, 100 bucks, 125 bucks or more on products 
they have a different priority. They want to order online, get in, get out, get in their car, go home. And as long as you're able to manage those, both of those things, you can make both of those true. You can educate consumer base that's brand new and keep them coming back, keeping them coming in the front door to order directly with a guide, which is what we call bud tenders. And they have access to online and it makes it super easy and efficient to order. I think you're going to find a good successful store. But if you don't have both of those, I think it's it's a challenge to keep growing in this current current space in Massachusetts. Okay. You're listening to Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local 413 and sponsored by People's Bank. Today, we're talking with Meg Sanders. She's the CEO of Canna Provisions in Holyoke and Lee. Uh, we're talking about the cannabis industry. Uh, you mentioned competition. Uh, things are only going to get uh, even more competitive uh, with Connecticut and New York uh, coming into the market soon. What what does that mean for Massachusetts? More competition is is sometimes better. Uh, kind of more the merrier. It kind of brings the the industry another step forward. But but what happens as competition increases, not just in this market, but in New England as a whole? This is such a great question. Let's talk about let's talk about New York first. So. I don't know if any of our any of our lovely listeners have traveled through um, the Empire State anytime anytime recently, but dispensaries are open right now. Adult use dispensaries are open right now. They're outside of the regulated market. They aren't necessarily following the guidance from the state or from their local municipality. Municipality, honestly, but there is no enforcement of those. You know, let's say legacy type of stores that decided to open. So as far as the impact that I'm feeling here in Lee or even in Holyoke from a lack of New York customers, we're just still really not seeing a huge decline in customer base. We are still seeing that people come to the Berkshires for vacation, to get away for the weekend, to have some amazing food, to see art, to see music. Um, there are lots of people still coming to the Berkshires every single day. So our lease store is still pretty much cranking. Mm-hmm. Um, Holyoke, same thing. We're not really seeing a decline um, in numbers. We're are, are actually, the people coming through the door is actually increasing uh, week over week. We're getting more customers in. Connecticut is a unique state as far as how they're rolling out their program. Limited licensing, social equity first, um, municipalities, not a lot have adopted. So when you think about proximity to Massachusetts, what's really going to be interesting is to see where are the dispensary, where are the closest dispensaries? And if that's Hartford and I live in Enfield, I'm going to Springfield or Holyoke. I'm not going to drive to Hartford to buy cannabis. And that's kind of the fun about New England, right? We're so used to just popping over here or popping over there to buy whatever, um, you know, look at New Hampshire and, and Massachusetts up, up by Salisbury, for example, and you go one way to buy your alcohol and you go to the other way to buy your lotto. It's just kind of how it works is that's mm-hmm. how the, the cross state works. The other thing that I think is fascinating about living in Western Massachusetts, especially kind of geared up towards the Southern part of the state is that there, we have a ton of employees that are from New York. We have, we have tons of businesses that have a cross pollination of, of employees from all over. And that also supports a healthy retail environment. Interesting. You mentioned Holyoke. Uh, I, one of my favorite uh, things to talk about when it comes to cannabis is how it has 
reshaped some of the communities in Western Massachusetts and, and really helped them economically. Uh, just everything from overall vibrancy to uh, repositioning commercial real estate. And I think no community has been more impacted than Holyoke has. Uh, you were one of the, the first in. Uh, talk about what, what cannabis has meant to Holyoke and, and how it's changed the city and how it continues to change it. I love Holyoke and I love to talk about it. So great. I'm so happy that you're asking about it. Um, first and foremost, the, the root of what changes in a city like Holyoke when cannabis comes to town is that a ton of square footage that has been sitting there empty, not improved, dilapidated, um, even eyesores in some cases, all of a sudden get come back to life a bit. And I can tell you that our landlord and the work that we've done in the building um, and the work that they've done in the building, we we have a beautiful space, absolutely beautiful. And I'm really proud if you're walking, whether you're walking up from Main Street or down from High Street, our building is a is a beacon. It's like, wow, look what look what you can do with a little paint and landscaping and you know some thoughtful decorations. And it's just a beautiful place to be. So that's the first like base impact. The second thing that happens is you have employees that live in the community. We have many employees that live in Holyoke or in the surrounding community. And when they're working where we're, where we're located, which is you know right there on Dwight Street and right down from City Hall, all of the businesses around us, from the cafes that have recently opened, we've got Blue Door Cafe. We, there's another cafe coming to the, um, the campus that we're on. We've got Ray Street Live. We've got the Divine Theater. We have Crave Tacos and a million other places that have opened. And our employees go to these locations and spend their money. So it is just this natural um, economy that happens when you open a business with a lot of employees and you also have customers that are coming and they're not coming to, you know, spend five dollars. They're not going, you know, into a bodega for a pack of gum. They're coming to buy cannabis. And as you guys know, it's not it's not cheap. So people are coming with money in their pocket. They're going to get gas down the street. They might get a coffee at Dunkin's. They might go up and get lunch. We're asked all the time, hey, where should I grab a bite? So I feel like there's this this lovely um microcosm that happens in our in our neighborhoods when we open. And this is exactly what I saw in, in Colorado when we opened a store um, on East Colfax in Denver. And mm. within a year of us opening, we had a Starbucks, we had a sandwich shop, we had a Pilates studio. It The entire neighborhood shifted. And I don't want to say it's because we were there, but I also do want to say it's because we were there. We happened to rent out Lo, you know, locations that weren't super desirable. And by turning those around, it brought attention to the neighborhood and other businesses saw opportunity and the neighborhood flourished. And that happens. And I'm thrilled that cannabis is maybe an anchor of making that creation start. Okay. I'm sure you're trying to and probably are able to carefully track where your customers are coming from. Uh, who's finding their way to the locations in Lee and Holyoke. I assume these are people from around the corner, but also from uh, far removed from around the corner. Very, very true. Holyoke is first, first off is Massachusetts residents, second off is Connecticut. 
Um, and then I think third and fourth, we have Massachusetts and Vermont. And we see that consistently summer, winter, fall, spring. It's, it's really, that is the swath of humans. And again, it's because people are working here that live there. They're traveling through on their way to go to Vermont for skiing or to go to, you know, spend the summer, whatever the case might be. In Lee, we're definitely much more heavy in New York, but we're 10 miles from the border. So if you went to the big wide grocery store, you would also see half of New York license plates in that in that parking lot. And it's because we're easier to get to for people that live um, east of Albany, in some cases, you know, it's much easier to come to Lee than it is to drive to Albany to, to, to pick up natural supplies or whatever. And again, there's a lot of people that work here that that work that live in New York. So th- our composition, we're definitely heavily skewed for New York, but we also are at the gateway of the Berkshires where a ton of New Yorkers come to vacation, whether it's for summer at Tanglewood or they're going skiing. Um, we are a destination and that is that definitely helps support the business model in a tourism town. Okay, one more quickly. Uh, when, when we spoke uh, late last month, uh, you were sporting a nice jacket that said on the back, uh, buy weed from women. This is a uh, something you really can't do very easily, at least when we're talking about women who uh, own dispensaries and run them like you do. Uh, this is still a market that, that's closed in a lot of respects to people with large amounts of capital, a uh, great deal of means. Uh, what's it going to take to, to ch- level the playing field a little bit and open this, uh, this sector up to, to more people? That is uh, the question of the day. And if I knew the answer, I, I'd probably be, you know, maybe be doing something else. But <laughs> I think the, the the bottom line, George, if I can be so frank, the money generally lies with rich white people. And if rich and, and I'll even more particular, rich white men, that's where the money lives. That's where that's look at any hedge fund, um, virtual capital, um, venture capital group. Look, at, I mean, it's just the facts. And until that shifts, and a prior, it becomes a priority to, to invest in women, to invest in people of color, to invest in social equity applicants. Until that becomes the norm of that group, shifting that power base is really, really hard. I am a tried and true successful cannabis operator. And even for me, it is incredibly difficult to raise money. Mm-hmm. And it's and at the end of the day, what I know to be true about private equity is people like to give money that give money to people that look like them and talk like them and act like them and live where they live. That's generally how it works. So until we have either a shift of wealth into women's hands, people of color, social equity, until that happens, we are still asking rich white guys to give us money. And it's really challenging. The piece that's really important to consider about New York and Connecticut, by the way, is they are letting social equity go first. They are the first bite at the apple for dispensaries and and other licenses. Mm -hmm. The challenge that they are having, just like me, is getting the capital. And until we figure out a way to solve that as a nation, um, as a specific industry, it becomes it's it's going to remain very difficult for people that look like me, people that look like other people in industry, women, mm-hmm. people of color. It's it's just going to be very difficult. I wish I had the magic bullet, but I don't. Okay. 
Well, very intriguing. Thank you very much for coming on today. We'll have to have you back on maybe uh, sometime toward the end of the year, kind of see, kind of check where the industry is then. Uh, this has been, again, very insightful. Uh, thank you for being with us. My pleasure, George. Talk to you soon. Okay. And thank you to all of you. This has been another episode of Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local 413 and sponsored by People's Bank. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West. We'll see you next time.